good day. Amen? Amen. Thank you, Laura. It's good to have you back. It's good to have China here, too. So we've been uh, working our way through the Beatitudes, and I wanted to just kind of step back for just a moment at the beginning of this message to kind of remind us of kind of what these blessed attitudes are. Um, I think sometimes we can get in the mindset of that these blessed attitudes are something that we uh, it's up to us to kind of create or to make or to strive for and somehow get, right? You know, that uh, that it's about us putting in the effort, and if we do that, then these will result. But that's, that's not what these attitudes are. That's not how they come about. Actually, these beatitudes, as I've been outlining, are they come about as a result of our confrontation with this world. Uh, and really, when our utopian perspective of how this world should go and what our life is all about, right? I mean, that's, those are the confrontations that we're facing. You know, we, we start our life with this perspective, you know, this utopian, again, ex- perspective that everything is going to be great. My life is awesome. I'm awesome. My family's awesome. The world's awesome. It's, you know, I'm going to succeed in everything I do. And, you know, with this optimism and excitement about the future. And it's uh, the problem, it's not that, you know, being optimistic is not the problem. The problem is, is we, we start out putting our hope in the world. We think that the world is what it's all about. We think that it's the world that's offering all these things. We think that it's our ability to grasp those or to get them or achieve them. That that is what, you know, it's all about. And so the focus is all wrong. It, it, it's not that the, the desire for these things is wrong. Actually, the desire for these things was put into us by our creator. A desire for success, a desire for life, a desire to have some kind of control. These are things that God has put in us, but how we go about achieving those things or receiving those things or getting those things is the difference, right? That's where the confrontation shows up. When we are confronted by the reality that this world cannot offer what it says it can. When we realize that we cannot achieve under our own power what we want to achieve. And so these be attitudes are attitudes that come out of the confrontation with that reality. When we face these truths, when we face the fact that we cannot succeed on our own, when we face the fact that we have no control over our death date, that God is in control of that, when we understand that there are people who are seeking to, uh, uh, to inflict power and control over us, and there's nothing we can do to keep that from happening, is when we recognize all of a sudden, whoa, whoa, this world is not what I thought it was. And it's in that moment that we have a choice. And this is why they're a blessing in it. I said the first message on was that there is blessing in this confrontation. There's blessing in the struggle with failure. There's blessing in the struggle with death. There's blessing in the struggle of being, uh, uh, of abuse of power. There's blessing in that. And the blessing is this, is that we do recognize that the world can't offer 
or can't uh, deliver on what it offers. And so we have to look somewhere else. And that somewhere else is Jesus. It's the opportunity to choose Jesus. And it's when we choose to surrender these different aspects of our life to Jesus that the real blessing comes because we receive the true reality of what we're looking for. True success only comes when we surrender our striving for success to Jesus. True life only comes when we surrender our life to Jesus. True power only comes when we surrender our striving for power to Jesus. And this morning, true righteousness only comes when we surrender our pursuit of righteousness to Jesus. Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, reads as follows. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. The confrontation in this beatitude is the confrontation with sin. The confrontation with depravity of man. The confrontation with the reality that we live in a fallen world. I I am sure all of us have been confronted by sin at some point in your life. Sin surrounds us. Uh, I remember, uh, you know, one of my first confrontations with sin uh, in my family. Uh, It was uh, the evil one, my sister. She actually lived in my home. That's right, the evil one, my sister. And I I remember uh, she would pick on me so much, like always. But I remember one particular time when she really just kind of went, and for whatever reason, this one sticks in my mind. Because, again, it was this confrontation with sin. Sin was so real, so tangible right there in my face. I was downstairs, two-story house, downstairs watching TV like, you know, I do, right? I mean, I was like eight years old. This is what you do, you know, watching some great show. And then comes, down comes, the, down the stairs comes the evil one. She walks into the room, sits next to me, grabs the remote and changes the channel. Right in the middle of my show. I mean, right in the middle of my show. So immediately I responded like we all should to Satan when he shows up. What are you doing? Get out of my face. I can't believe you're doing this to me. Leave me alone. And so she then proceeds to take me off of the couch, put me on the ground, pin me down, and then begin to blow in my face, you know, like sisters do, <sighs> evil sisters. Anyway, so family, right, we have these moments, that's funny, but I mean, we do have real life sin, right, that we face in our families as well, sometimes from our parents, sometimes from siblings. But we also, I think, uh, face sin at some point in our friendships, too. A friend who we thought was near and dear turns her back on us. Uh, I had a friend who I thought was really close to me, and I thought we were really, I I thought we had a great understanding. I thought we, I mean, we'd been friends for probably seven or eight, maybe nine years, and it it was like, this makes sense, right? And we just had such a great time together. And then one little thing happened, and it just continued to spiral, and within just a short period of time, This person was just saying horrible things about me. 
not just to me, but also to others. And I was just shocked by how could a friend say that? So we face sin because of the reality of sin all around us. Sometimes we face it with our friends and our family. Sometimes we face it in the church. Some of us maybe even in this room or in this place, or not a room, is it? I guess this is a large room, yes, the world room. But some of us here have had experiences with church that have been really, really painful. We've faced sin in the midst of church and with Christians. Some of us stopped coming to church for many, many years because of it. So sin is all around us, but perhaps one of the most challenging confront confrontations with sin is the sin that's within us, right? The capability that we each have to sin. In my early 20s, I faced this probably the most profoundly, at least at, to that point in my life. I've had a couple other experiences with it as well since then. But in high school, uh, I mean, I, I grew up, I was a Christian when I was five years old, right? I, I grew up in the church, loved Jesus, knew I was going to be a pastor, knew that that was the direction of my life. In high school, you know, preparing myself to become a pastor, all the things that go with that, uh, you know, leader in my youth group, all of these things. And it, it, I remember in high school thinking, you know, like, w there's a lot of sin in this world, and, you know, we all struggle. And you know, I had my areas of struggle, but I thought, you know, the one place that I would never fall was in the sexual area, right? Sexual sin. That, that would never be a problem for me. And about five years later, I was like, oh, wow. You know what? I'm a lot more depraved than I thought I was. We're confronted by sin, both by those who inflict it on us, but also our own capabilities, <laughs> abilities within us to commit sin as well. Romans 3.23 says, of course, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It tells us this, right? God's word communicates this reality to us. Yet sometimes we think, you know, oh, no, you know, we'll, we'll be all right. We can make it through. Uh, you know, it's the places, you know, the people are generally good, right? I mean, if we're, we're going to be all right. Most people are going to treat me well. I'm, I'm generally good. I mean, I occasionally, you know, slip up, but I'm not that bad. Jeremiah 17.9 tells us that the heart is desperately sick and wicked and deceitful. That our own heart... <laughs> is messed up, it's broken. You know, I was struck this week as we think about our world and where we are today. I mean, we are surrounded by sin maybe like we haven't ever been in our life, right? Uh, Isaiah 5.20 talks about beware of those who call evil good and good evil. And boy, are we seeing that in our country today. It is amazing to me the things that just 10 years ago, everyone, it seemed, thought were like, that's evil and that's good. And it's totally flipped. I mean, just take the homosexual issue alone. In 10 years, it's gone from homosexual is, homosexuality is bad, it's sinful, it's not right, we shouldn't live that way, 
those who believe that, they're, they're on the right side of things to totally flip the other way. Now, those who think that homosexuality is a sin, we are the bad people. We are surrounded by sin and we're being confronted with it each day and we need to recognize that because it is going to bring about an opportunity to make a choice, an opportunity to give up the fight. There's typical responses that we can have and that we see when we are confronted by sin, that we see this in our life. We've done it. We see in others who have done this as well. One of the key responses is independence. Right? Once we face you know, uh, a sin from someone else, what somebody else has done to us, our tendency is, okay, you know what, you know, after a while you kind of give up. Like, I don't, I don't want to be around people anymore, right? I, I don't want to have relationships anymore. I want to, you know, I'm just going to depend on myself. I can't depend on others. I've got friends that, you know, they have, they've failed me. I've got parents, maybe they've failed me. I've got, you know, coworkers, they've failed me. I can't trust anybody else, and so I've got to do it myself. And so we, we focus on being independent and doing it our way, making it happen our, our, you know, uh, under our power, right? And, and this is like, it's amazing. It, the, the independence or the um, individual, individualistic mindset in America has increased exponentially over the last 50 years as we, I think, have seen the exponential increase of sin in our world. As we have gotten, as we have turned our back on God as a country, as we've taken God out of the education of our, our, our children, as we've, we've isolated churches and even as we begin to have real serious questions about Christians, are they really good or not? We have now have this increase of sin, and with the increase of sin, we have the increase of confrontations with sin, and we have the increase of individuality. People want to be on their own. I can do it myself. And we see this in the church as well, right? It's just me and Jesus. I really don't need the church. I can be a strong Christian. I don't need to be around other people. And again, this comes from the fact that they've been confronted by sin. The other response is isolation. So not only just independence, but going the next step maybe is isolation. Actually pulling away from the world. So that they never leave their house. <laughs> so that they never have to go out and interact with other people. That they, are, that they are emotionally isolated as well. Maybe they're out in the world because they have to have a job and they have to go shopping and this kind of stuff, and, but they're going to emotionally isolate. They'll never really trust anyone. They'll never really dive into a relationship with anyone because they can't trust them. They're afraid of it. They've been confronted by sin, and they're still trying to control righteousness. We as Christians have done this as well. We have this tendency to isolate as well, especially American Christians. We see a, you know, a city that's bad, a state that's bad, a neighborhood that's bad, a country that's bad, very sinful. We don't want to go there. We want to get out of there. We want to flee from sinful places. Now, it's understandable you know, when they're dangerous places, right? I, I get that. I, I understand that aspect. But we have a tendency in America for we, we're seeking safety and security in this world when Jesus is the one who's meant to be our safety and our security. And, and, and you, you know, I, I think about missionaries who basically have the exact opposite perspective of what many American Christians do, right? Uh, right now, the da most dangerous places in the world to be a Christian obviously are in the Middle East where Muslim countries and this kind of places where it is illegal and you could actually be killed if they found out you're a Christian or that you were pr proselytizing. 
And yet we have missionaries that are willing to go to those sinful places in order to share the love of Jesus. So these are the typical responses when we are confronted with sin, but I, I, I think this is what the beatitude is about here this morning. The blessing comes when we choose to surrender righteousness. See, the, the typical responses are trying to obtain righteousness in some way. I can't trust others to be righteous, but I can trust myself to be righteous. And so I'm just going to isolate myself, or I'm just going to become independent, because I'm, I know I'll do the right thing for me that makes me happy. And so we're trying to control righteousness. This is the typical response. But when we understand who Jesus is, when we understand what Scripture says about humanity, then we understand that even trusting ourselves is not the right answer that we have to actually give in. We have to surrender our pursuit of righteousness for Jesus. Because Jesus is the only righteous one. He is the only righteous one, amen? He is the only one who came and lived among us and was righteous, never once sinned, never once gave in to the temptations, never once did anything wrong. It was always good every time he's made that choice. But that's just his 30 years on earth as a man. He also has done that for all of his entire existence, which is eternal. He is always good. He is always right. Sin is a human condition, not a God condition. If we want to experience righteousness, the only way we can attain it is to surrender our pursuit of righteousness to Jesus and seek him and him alone. We can do nothing to earn his Save salvation, right? We can't live our life righteously enough, right? We can't do enough. We are sinners, all of us. So we need to pursue the righteous one, Jesus. Romans 5.18 talks about the fact that Jesus is this righteous one. We read in the, at the beginning of the service the passage 18 and 19 of chapter 5 where we see that we have this sin that, was put, that, that, that came about because of Adam, the first man, he failed, he, he brought sin into the world, and with sin came death. But then Jesus, the second Adam, the second man, came, and he lived a righteous life. And because of that righteousness, now we all can experience righteousness too, but only through him. You see, it is when only when we put our trust in his righteousness that we're able to trust other people. Our trust for even the person that's closest to us, maybe our spouse or maybe a parent or a good friend, our trust in them is not, it cannot simply be in them. If we are just trusting in them, we should expect at some point that person will fail us because they are sinners. What gives us the courage to be able to trust sinners is to know the one who's sinless. When we trust him and his goodness and his good plan, when we trust that he is always going to be faithful, it allows us to have relationships with others and put trust in them as well, knowing that, yeah, it's a risk. But as long as we have Jesus, we'll be okay. 
Now, when we begin to trust Jesus, when we surrender our pursuit for righteousness to Jesus, not only can we begin to trust in others, but we can also begin to trust in ourselves. We can actually begin to live out righteousness, right? We can actually begin to live because when we have the Holy Spirit come into us, we are a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. The old is gone and the new has come. We now have the Holy Spirit residing in us. We now have the righteous one within us. We are one with the righteous one. And so now righteousness can indeed come out of us. And we can begin to live this righteousness. You know, the amazing thing, and later on in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, verse 10, Jesus gives this prayer, you know, the, this amazing Lord's Prayer, right? And part of that in verse 10 says that your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do you realize that his will is done in us? Those who have him in us, this is how the kingdom of God comes about in this world. This is what happens as, as we surrender our life to Jesus, as we surrender our pursuit of righteousness to Jesus, recognize that he is the only righteous one. He comes into us, and then his righteousness begins to flow out of us into this world, which then allows his kingdom, his rule, to begin to be experienced here on this land, in this world. This is where I think we Christians sometimes get it wrong when we seek to isolate because of confrontations with sin. We seek to maybe create a commune, right? I mean, we've got a nice 30 acres here, right? This could be pretty nice space. You know, we could build some homes back here and we can have, you know, some nice, you know, have a school going on. We could, you know, we could be Trinity Alliance commune right here, right? Never have to go out, you know, don't have to worry about, you know, anybody else and put a big gate out in front. So you have to have a code to get in and that kind of stuff. Bob, what's the code? Bob, Bob, Bob. I don't know where you, anyway, so yeah, I mean, but no, we, this is why we don't do that, right? This is, this is Christ saying, no, 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 I, I have, I have put my righteousness in you. I want my kingdom to come on earth. And so you have to go out into these evil places and bring righteousness. We shouldn't isolate ourselves. We should continue to live our lives. You know, this is why Paul says, you know, I know some of you are slaves when you came to Christ. But don't worry so much about your slavery because you can actually bring the message of Christ in that place if you just stay there. You don't have to leave to be a Christian. You don't have to come and isolate yourself with other Christians in order to live out the Christian life. The Christian life is meant to be lived out in the world, in the evil places where we can bring righteousness to the to the, to the landscape, to the space, to the relationships that are there. Now, obviously, again, just remind all of us that that righteousness is not ours. The only reason we are able to do anything righteous is because of Jesus. It's him working that out in us. Without him, all that we would be, all we would do would be uh, just be, it would be sin. It, the motivations would be wrong if the actions weren't wrong or the actions would be wrong. It would all be sin without Jesus. Do you understand that? We have to understand that. We cannot live righteously on our own. Any righteous act that we do, it's we give praise to Jesus for him working in us and through us. 
Romans 7, Paul does a great job of kind of bringing this to reality. Okay, we think Paul, right? I mean, this guy, he's, he's pretty awesome, right? I mean, if anybody's righteous, right, Paul is righteous, right? Righteous, righteous. Anyway, uh, he, he, Paul is like a great, uh, I mean, he wrote scripture. He knows Jesus. He's got this amazing connection, amazing passion for Jesus. It's amazing all the things that he did, all the good stuff, all the evangelism. This guy, if anybody is righteous, Paul would be righteous. But when you read Romans 7, you go, what is going on here? Where he talks about the fact that he does things that he doesn't want to do. He's like, I want to do righteousness, but wait, my, my, my fleshly sinful self is also there, and I so often do the things that I don't want to do. I, I want to do that, but I don't do it. And, and the things I don't want to do, I end up doing anyway. And what is going on? And this is Paul. This is the reality in all of us. This is the struggle that we have. We still have sinful flesh that's in us that we're still wrestling against. The only chance of doing anything righteous comes from the fact that we have Jesus within us, the righteous one. Now, finally, this uh, righteousness, when we surrender the pursuit of righteousness to Jesus, not only does it impact our relationships, not only does it impact the way we live, but it also, you know, that is, that's all just temporary. We, we are also given this hope of eternity where we will get to experience the fulfillment of this righteousness. Revelations 21, no more sin, no more pain, no more suffering, no more death. This is the eternal kingdom that we're looking forward to. This is the reality that's going to come. We get to experience some of it here, yes, as again, as Jesus works his way out in us, his righteousness is worked out in us, but we are all still hoping and looking forward to eternity because in the eternal kingdom is when we get to fully experience this righteous world that Jesus offers. This is what we are looking for. This is what we are hoping for. So when confronted by sin, we have a choice of how we're going to respond. Are we going to you know, try to do more righteousness on our own? Are we going to just isolate ourselves or just trust ourselves more and continue to fight this fight for righteousness? Or are we going to give up the fight and surrender that uh, desire and that pursuit for righteousness to Jesus? To, to hunger and thirst for righteousness, this is, what it hap- this is where it comes from. The fact that when we have been confronted by sin... We go, this is not right. This is not good. This is not the way life is meant to be lived. And you are right. We are right. That's God-given. He created us with this sense of rightness, of righteousness. And when we are confronted with sin, things that are not right, things that are not righteous, then we crave for more righteousness. But understanding that we cannot bring it about ourselves, it is only Jesus who can make that happen. For eternity, but also today in our own life. This craving for righteousness is a craving for Jesus. And when we crave Jesus and his righteousness, then the passage says that we will be filled. We will have Jesus within us. Again, each of these blessings are, they're like, they're like conversions. 
right? Each of them are opportunity for our life to be surrendered to Jesus. Each of them are an opportunity for salvation to come to our life. And when we choose to surrender our pursuit of righteousness to Jesus, then we get to experience the righteousness of Jesus. We are filled with the Holy Spirit. And Galatians 5 and 16 talks about how we are filled with the Spirit. And then later on it says how we are meant to, live, to, to stay in step with the Spirit. And the way we do that again is through focusing on Jesus. It is those who have surrendered the pursuit of righteousness that will experience righteousness. Will experience that filling of that craving. A little bit now, but ultimately in eternity. All right, worship team, why don't you come back up? Just concluding thoughts questions again have you been confronted by sin i think that's a pretty easy question <laughs> i think all of us have it's just a reality we're surrounded by it perhaps of all of the blessings or the beatitudes this is the one that probably we're all confronted with the most constantly being bombarded by sin around us and within us but the question is, is what are you doing about it? How are you responding to that confrontation? See, this is, this is a, a, a one-time choice, but it's also a daily choice. Hopefully at some point as a result of maybe a confrontation with sin, you recognized that you needed the righteous one. And so you laid down your life and your pursuit of righteousness and accepted and surrendered your life to Jesus. But again, you know, we continue to live as Christians in this world, and, and sometimes we have a tendency maybe to grab onto things again. So what are you doing when you're confronted by sin? Is your tendency to become more and more independent? Do you tend to step out of relationship when you're confronted by sin? When someone disappoints you, when someone stabs you in the back, when someone hurts you? Is that, your, is that your tendency, is just to run from that relationship? To isolate yourself? Or do you surrender your pursuit of righteousness, your desire for righteousness to Jesus? How about when you face your own sin? You know, a lot of times when we face our own sin, this sends us into shame, especially as Christians, right? You can begin to think, you know, well, you know, I got to get my life in order before I can actually go back and start praying again. Because, boy, that was a really bad sin that I just did. Boy, I really messed up there. God's not happy with me. Or do we, or do we recognize, wait a second, no, no, no. And like Paul, I'm wrestling with sin. But my only hope for righteousness is Jesus. And so instead of allowing sin to drive us away from Jesus, we should allow sin to drive us to Jesus. All right, final question. Um, who do you know? Like I said earlier, we've got so much sin in our world right now that's just in, the, in our faces in ways that it hasn't been in maybe a long time, maybe ever for many of us. 
Sin is so rampant in our world right now. So who do you know who is being confronted by sin and needs to know about the righteous one? See, these truths aren't meant to be just kept to ourselves. They're not meant to, be st to stay on this campus. They're meant to be taken to those who need to hear these truths. So who do you know in your life who's been confronted by sin and needs to know and surrender to the righteous one, Jesus Christ? All right. Church, let's go ahead and stand, and uh, we'll sing another song or two, and then I'll come back and close with a passage. It's so unbelievable. It really is. It's so amazing. It's so surprising. That you, the creator of all of this, the one who loves so unconditionally all that he's made, that you would still continue to pursue us despite our rejection of you. Despite the fact that we continue to strive to live under our own autonomy and strength and power, despite the fact that we still think that we can do better, you continue to pursue us. You continue to love us. You continue to offer us reconciliation when we don't deserve it. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your amazing grace and love. Thank you for willingly coming, living among us, giving your life for us, opening up the pathway and the door to once again be reconciled to our creator so that if perhaps we finally come to the end of ourselves and we finally recognize that there's no way we can do better, that we would finally surrender and finally give our lives up to you and accept the amazing gift of salvation. First Peter chapter 1 verses 13 and following. Therefore preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourself with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. 
He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in these last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. In Jesus' name, amen. And God bless. Thank you, church. Have a great day.